0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. All right, well, good morning, Creekside. So good to see all of you. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us digitally for worship. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here So grateful to have you all with us this morning. Hey, if it is your very first time at Creekside, thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us this morning. We'd love to give you a free gift, which is yours after the service out of the info desk. You can grab a water bottle or a tumbler or a sippy cup, and that's our gift to you if it's your first time with us today. Uh, If you would like more information about our church or there's something we can be praying about for you, there should be a slip in the seat back in front of you, you can take that Fill it out, and then put it over in the offering slot. That's the offering slot, which is right over there. Also, if you're new here, we have Pastor's Coffee this morning. Second service, so if you're hanging out for the morning, there's going to be pastors like me and others. There's going to be coffee. It will be in the middle school room right after second service. If you've just wanted to connect with us and you're new here, want more information about our church, that's your next step. So we'd love to see you there uh, this morning. Excited for you ladies to go on the women's retreat, so just want to push that on you one more time, encourage you, gently harass you to go on that. That is an awesome way to uh, meet women. I haven't been, but I've heard it's phenomenal. So um, just want to recommend that to you again. You know, as I was thinking about uh, our series in James and this passage, a a verse that came to mind for today was Proverbs 27.1 which says this, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Do not boast about tomorrow. You have no idea what a day may bring. Humans love to boast about tomorrow. But we're not that good at predicting the future, are we? In 1902, Simon Newcomb said that flight by machines heavier than air is unpractical, if not utterly impossible. Very next year, 1903, the president of Michigan Savings Bank said, the horse is here to stay. The automobile is a fad. Fast forward, 1946, Daryl Zanuck said, television won't last. You know why? People will get tired of looking at a box. 1977, Ken Olson of the Digital Equipment Corporation said, there is no reason, no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. Fast forward again, 2007, Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft, said, there is no chance the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. (laughs) Humans are not good at predicting the future. And before you laugh too much, you're not good at predicting your future. (laughs) Think about your childhood dreams or aspirations or how you thought your life was going to work out and how it actually turned out. How often has your life gone according to script? How often has it turned out in a way that was completely different? How much of your life has come as a complete surprise? Proverbs says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. James' point this morning is that the future does not belong to us. The future belongs to who? Belongs to God. And yet here I think is the tension we might feel that where, while the future does belong to God, God still expects us to plan for the future. He expects us to make plans. And so how do you plan for the future? Planning is inevitable. You're going to make plans for your life. How do you do that when the future is not ultimately yours to determine? How do you plan when you're not in charge? We're in this series on the book of James, and we've seen time and again how James wants us to have this undivided devotion to Jesus. He wants us to see and embrace Jesus' rule over every area of our lives. And what James says this morning is this, that if Jesus is Lord over my life, he's Lord over the future of my life. He's the author of my story. I'm the actor. But because of sin, I have a tendency, we have a tendency to view ourselves not as actors in God's stories, but as the authors of our own story. And we've seen that's actually the issue that James is confronting throughout chapter 4, which is this issue of worldliness, what James calls friendship with the world. And last week we saw that worldliness is just any view of the world that doesn't take God into account. Any view of the world that doesn't view him as ultimate, as the ruler. Last week we looked at how even believers in Jesus can live in a worldly way. And now James is going to transition to show us how even believers of Jesus can plan in a worldly way. They can think about the future and fail to take God into account. So how do you know if you're doing that? How do you plan when you're not in charge? How do you plan for your life when God has veto power over every single thing you do All the time, which is true. Well, James shows us how to plan when we're not the ultimate planner. He shows us what planning without God looks like. He shows us what planning with God looks like. And and we'll look at both, and hopefully it'll teach us how to plan the, the right way. Before we do those planning projects, though, let's pray. Let's ask God for his help. So, God, we ask as we go to your word this morning that you would teach us how to trust you not just with the present, but with the future. God, if we are in Christ, we have already entrusted our eternal future to you. So God, it only makes sense that we would entrust the rest of our lives here to you as well. Teach us to surrender the future to you. Jesus, for your sake, amen. So how do you plan when you're not in charge? Well, here's how not to plan. As a Christian, it is possible to live life like a practical atheist as a Christian, to confess Jesus with your mouth, but then to plan for the future as if God has no impact on your story. What does that look like? Well, well, James tells us. He says this, verse 13, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James is addressing worldliness in his congregations, and now he targets a a group, a particular group of people in these churches he's writing to, and you can think of the people he's targeting as the upwardly mobile. James is talking to merchants, businessmen. Uh, Most people in the ancient world report. In fact, by today's standards, they were extremely poor, barely subsistence living. That's 70 to 80% of the Mediterranean world. And then you go to the top, you know, 1% or 2%, you have the upper crust of society, the very rich, the aristocracy, people with land, and we'll talk about them next week. But between the super poor and the super rich, you had this middle group, the people who were hustling who were grinding, the merchants, the traders, the people who would go and make deals internationally, who would make things happen, and they weren't poor. In fact, they had some discretionary income, and here's the deal. If they planned their future right, they could buy land, they could get into that top 2%. That's who James is talking about. These are people with some wealth who have the ability to make a lot more wealth. And so this is really relevant for us, isn't it? I would guess most of the people in this room fall somewhere in that middle group of people who have the potential to make more money, to to advance upward in mobility. And and there's a danger that comes with that because, you know, if you're poor, you don't think much about the future. You're thinking about the very next thing you need, the, the next paycheck, the next meal, where the next thing is coming from. That's a hard way to live, but it's also a way to live where you see God provide. You see God show up. You learn to trust God in new ways. The minute you get some breathing room financially, you get to start dreaming about the future, don't you? Oh, huh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could invest here. Maybe we could move here. Maybe we could retire then. And you can become fixated on this vision for what your future could look like. <laughs> do business in such and such a town, right? That's who James is talking to. Now, clearly James has an issue with these people. Here's the critical thing for us. What's the problem? Because this is kind of a weird problem, right? James says, here's the problem I have with you. You make plans. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a place, do this, make a profit. So what's so bad about that? I mean, that kind of sounds like an annual business retreat, right? What is James actually mad about here? Well, it's important we don't get the wrong impression of what James is talking about because Bible is clear, it's not bad to make plans. Wise people make plans for the future. Spiritual people do not wake up in the morning and go, I'm only going to do what Jesus says, so I'm going to lay here. (laughs) Here I am, Lord. Send me, right? Send me to the bathroom. Send me to the kitchen. That's not a spiritual way to live. That's a weird, passive way to live. Wise people plan. That's why Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for him. Prudent people go, man, if I keep doing that, bad things are going to happen. If I do that, I better make a course adjustment. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Wise people have a plan, a long-term plan for their money. It's a slow plan. They aren't just impulsive, get rich or die trying kind of people who just fly from one idea to the next. They have a long-term plan. Proverbs has nothing positive to say about impulsive people. Wise people plan ahead. And so James' issue isn't the act of planning. Now, if that's true, what is James' issue? Well, it's not the act of planning. It's the attitude of planning. Look at the attitude that James is getting at here. Because planning is good, pride is not. These people are prideful. And James talks about that in verse 16. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 16 is an expansion on verse 13. And what James says these businessmen are doing is exalting, boasting in what? In their arrogance. In other words, James says the way you talk back in verse 13 Is actually a really arrogant way to view life. It's an arrogant heart. Think about what they say back in verse 13. Four times they say what? We will. We're going to (laughs) live. We're going to go here. We're going to do this business. We're going to spend a year there. Then we're going to make a lot of money. We will do this. We will do that. And James says, diagnosing them that this is a deeper heart issue. You are boasting in your arrogance. That word arrogance is interesting because it's literally, it's plural. So he's saying you're boasting in your arrogances. (laughs) What are their arrogances? Their plans. Their plans are presumptuous. That's what James is saying. That when they look ahead, they are utterly confident in their ability to determine the course of their lives and what their future will look like. And that's worldliness. That's worldliness. I don't have to take God into account. I've already got my course set. Thank you very much, God. You just need to endorse it. That's arrogance. This is presumptuous planning. It's what John calls in 1 John 2 when he talks about worldliness, the boastful pride of life. It's the same word used there, the boastful pride of life. That's the issue here is this arrogant, haughty spirit that presumes I'm the author of my own story, I know where I'm going, I'm going to do this. That's prideful planning. And so here's the question for us. How do we fall prey to this as believers? How do we know if I'm planning or if I'm planning arrogantly not taking God into account? Well, let's look at James' indictment against them, and I think that will give us a better idea of how we fall prey to this. James' indictment is twofold. Here's two problems with the way they're planning. First is this, you don't know everything. You aren't all-knowing. You're actually really bad at predicting the future. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Or we could say, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What your life will be like then is another way to translate it. See, we, we like to think that, that security in life comes from obsessing over tomorrow's problems. If I just have enough information, if I just get all the variables right, if I I just get every contingency in order, then I can make the perfect plan. And then what will I experience? Peace. Confidence. And James says you're never going to get confidence from that. Because our confidence is ultimately in the one who holds the future not in our ability to predict anything that could happen in the future. We don't know what can happen. We can't isolate all of the confounding variables. We just don't know enough. We don't know what we don't know about tomorrow. And and so one instance of pride in my life is this, how often do I obsess over tomorrow's problems today? because the degree to which I obsess over tomorrow's problems is actually a symptom of pride. That if I just think through this a little more, I can come up with a better plan and control the future. Nothing wrong with planning. Anxious, obsessive planning is a problem. Let me, let me put it this way. You know, my, my favorite land at Disneyland is Tomorrowland. I haven't seen the new Star Wars one, but I'm, I'm still, I'm an old school guy. Tomorrowland's the best land of Disneyland. And whenever I show up at Disneyland, the first thing I would do as a kid, you run to Tomorrowland. Because Tomorrowland is the happiest place in the happiest place on earth. The happiest place in your mind is not Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland is a terrible place to live. Have you ever noticed that? That you don't get peace from living in Tomorrowland? When you go there, it can be a very dark place. In fact, it's a place where fears and anxieties just grow big. Do you know why? I I thought about this. There is a reason you don't sense God's grace or presence when you think about the future. Do you know why? Because it's not yours to think about and obsess about. Betsy Howard wrote a great article a few years ago that really helped me think through this. You know, Jesus, she says, reminds us, says, Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. What's God's grace for? Today. God gave manna to the Israelites for today. He didn't give an infinite stockpile of manna following them around, just in case you needed it. What they needed, they got when they needed it. Hebrews 4 says that, God has mercy and grace to help when? In time of need. God gives you what you need when you need it. And so here's the problem with living in Tomorrowland. When I go there, I'm actually exiting the sphere in which God's grace operates for me, which is today. I'm going to a place where I am Lord and sovereign. That's Tomorrowland. <laughs> where I have to figure things out, where I have to determine things, where I have to solve problems. And I'm leaving the place that God gives me grace to deal with life. God isn't traveling with me on my fantasies about the future. Because the future's his and the hidden things belong to the Lord. And so I am pridefully asking God to give me information that he will always withhold, which is what tomorrow holds. Does that make sense? He has grace for today. C.S. Lewis said it like this. It is seldom the present that is intolerable. It's not the present that is intolerable to us. He says, remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens to one, but not the 101 different things that might happen. God gives you strength for what is going to happen to you. When we speculate into all the what-ifs, it's a very dark place, isn't it? Don't go to Tomorrowland. (laughs) It's not the happiest place on earth. So that's one way we can become boastful, arrogant, thinking that we can determine the future, That's the first thing James says. Remember that you're not all-knowing. The second is this, you're not invincible. See, it's not just that we don't know the future. We don't even know if we're going to be around for the future. James says you're not as solid and stable as you think you are. In fact, he says this, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The, the truth of human life is that we are very, very transient. Here and then we're gone. James is, is probably thinking here of these mountains in the Mediterranean where when these merchants were traveling on the sea, they would see the mist coming off them in the morning. By noonday, whoosh, mist isn't even there anymore. That's, that's life, James says. You know, life goes by really slowly until it doesn't, right? Days raising kids are really long. Years are really short. Things seem to take forever until they're gone. And the arrogance of life is is this, that I think I have an infinite amount of time, a limitless amount of time to do the things God calls me to do, that I can just kind of put them off indefinitely. I was thinking about this a few days ago. I was driving home from work, and I was sitting at a stoplight, and I saw a bus. And the bus had an advertisement on it, and and the advertisement was great. It was from a healthcare provider, and it said, Attention Invincible Millennials. (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute, I'm a millennial. They're talking to me. What are you saying to me, Ad? And it said, Attention Invincible Millennials, you still need a primary care physician. We'll help you get one. And I thought, wait a minute. I haven't had a physical in a few years. And I don't even know if I have a primary care physician. And that probably means I don't have a primary care physician. (laughs) And I need to get one. And, And then I thought, and this is how my mind works, back to my initial statement, do I think I'm invincible? I'm a millennial. Am I an invincible millennial? And then the bus took off. So I had to stop thinking about it. <laughs> but I realized, why am I neglecting my physical health? At some level, it's because I think I'm not going to get sick, right? I might get sort of sick, but not really sick, and I'm in pretty good shape, and I'm young, and yeah, I could get COVID, but yeah, I've read the data, whatever. I'm, I'm kind of invincible. And see, you know that tendency. When you're young, you can forestall caring about physical health for a very long time. Because you just think, I'm going to be around. And we can do the exact same thing, James says, with our spiritual health. And just assume, I'm going to be around, and so there's always going to be more time to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. And take my spiritual health seriously. That's the next application question. Do I feel like the best season to serve Christ is always later? Not now, later. I have heard this so many times. I have felt this so many times in my life. You know, you're in college and you're like, oh, man, finals are hard. I can't wait till I have time later in life to, like, serve God. I'm going, to take my rela- I'm going to like have more devotional time. And then you leave college, and everybody's like, I wish I had the community I had in college. It's so hard to be in relationships now. And then you have kids, and you're like, man, kids keep me from doing anything in life. I can't wait till my kids are gone so I can live again, and then I'll serve Jesus and be on mission, right? And then your kids are gone. You're like, I just lost all my network of friends to be on mission with. What do I do now, Right? And then you dream that, man, someday when I'm retired and I have infinite time, right, then I can really live for Jesus and fulfill my calling. And then you, you get there maybe and you go, man, where's, the, where's my sphere of influence now? What do I do with my time? Right? It always seems like there's a better time to get serious about Jesus than what? Now. And that's Satan, right? Satan always wants you to think there's a little more time to start caring about your relationship with Jesus. And if I view life that way, it means that I am Lord and sovereign over my life. And yes, Jesus, you can have my life. I will get serious about this, just not yet. I need to get my life a little more in order. I need to make a little more money. I need to get a little more financial independence. And then I'll do something for the kingdom. And Jesus says in Matthew 6 that life works exactly the opposite. You seek first what? The kingdom of God, and then all the other things are added to you. But if your life is seeking first my kingdom, hoping God will add his kingdom to me, it never works. Does that make sense? How am I putting off serving Christ till later in my own head? Because all you got is today. That's it. And that's that's all you know. So obsessing over the future, putting off Christ's agenda, these are ways we can plan life without God. That's what practical atheism looks like for a Christian. So how do you plan with God? What does it look like to plan with someone who can always veto your plans? Well, let's see what James says. Instead of boasting in our future plans, instead you ought to say what? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is the corrective to verse 13. Instead of saying, James says, I will do this or that or the other, we say, if the Lord wills, I will do this, that, or the other. Now, James is not telling us to put a cute little phrase on everything we say, right? Because that's what this has become, right? Lord willing, I'll do this. Lord willing, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. I have no idea what that means, but I kind of thought that the creek don't rise was inside God's will. But anyway, that, like, yeah, Lord, that's not what James is saying. Because throughout James, what's the point? That what you say reveals what? Your heart. So James is talking about the kind of speech that reveals a heart that is submitted to God's will in every sphere of life. Now, notice it doesn't mean you don't make plans. It says, I'm planning to do this. I'm planning to do that. But everything has a big if on it based on God's prerogatives and God's plans. So what does it look like to plan under God's will in that way? Well, the first thing we have to define is what we mean by God's will. Because God's will in Scripture means two different things. And both of these are important to understand if we want to plan like people who aren't in charge. The first way the Bible talks about God's will is God's will, theologians call it his will of decree. God's will of decree is this, God's hidden purpose to work everything together for his glory and your good. When, when we talk about God's will in this sense, what we mean is this, that in one sense, nothing is stronger than the will of God. That God can take the good things in our life and the bad things, the righteous things and the wicked things, and he works all things to the counsel of, Paul says, his will. And that's good news. What it means is there's not a rogue molecule in the universe that's defying God and has authority over God. God has ultimate authority, so no matter how dark life gets, God has a redemptive purpose he's working. That's God's will of decree. God's will of desire isn't hidden from us, right? God's will of desire is God's revealed purpose for how he wants us to live. God's will of desire is what we see in the commands of Scripture. This is what God says he wants us to do. And as Christians, we need to learn to both submit to God's will of desire, what he's revealed for us to do, And to learn to God's will of decree, which is just what happens in our lives. Does that make sense? Two different ways of understanding God's will. What does it look like to plan that way? Submitting to God's will of desire, what he wants, here's what it means. I allow God's priorities to shape the plans I make with my life. Simple as that. You know, if you gave me your phone, please don't, but if you gave me your phone and I looked through your calendar, I'd probably see your priorities based on what you were scheduling. Um, I'd say, okay, here's work meetings, right? Here's vacation time. Here are all the things that are important to you. Here's a question. If I looked at your day planner, would I see kingdom priorities on it? If I looked at your planner, right, Jesus is clear on the things that are to characterize the life of a disciple. John 8, a disciple abides in Jesus' word. John 13, a disciple loves other believers. John 15, a a disciple loves the lost and is on mission to reach them. So if I were to look at the way you have planned the priorities of your life, what I see, time with Jesus in his word is a priority. What I see, time with Christ's people is a priority. It's scheduled. What I see, time being on mission to serve and reach people is a priority. Can I look at your day and see that? Because I think one thing, here's an instance of practical atheism that we can fall into, is that we make plans according to our priorities and hope God's priorities fit in somewhere. Rather than planning out the things that are God's priorities and trusting that our priorities will fit in too because God is good and sovereign and we'll make sure he takes care of that. You see the difference? Are you planning to follow Jesus with your life? Are you planning to meet with him? Are you planning to be with his people? Are you planning to seek and reach neighbors and love them? Because that's what it means to plan like people who aren't in charge. I have to follow the boss's priorities for my workday in the kingdom of God. That's thing one. Step two is this. Submitting to God's will of decree means I allow God's opportunities to reshape the plans I make. I have a plan for my day that God has the sovereign prerogative to interrupt. Because I don't know what God has for me in any given day. And I don't know if you've realized this, but your best opportunities to be used by God are usually not on your timetable. Usually not. In fact, the opportunities to minister will often appear like big, troublesome inconveniences to what you were going to do with your day. Think about Jesus. He wants to go meet with God and people just keep coming to him with needs. And what does he do? He lets people inconvenience him and then eventually goes and meets with his father and does what he was going to do anyway. My ability to allow myself to be inconvenienced by people is a sign whether I am submitting to God and His will for the day, right? His will of decree. Here's what God had planned out for me. So let me give you an example of this. I like to go for runs in the morning, and I run from my house to the church and back, and it's great, it's fast, and and that's my agenda. I'm not there to talk to you, okay? (laughs) I'm there to run. I'm a busy man, okay? I got things to do. Here, here's the thing. Like, my, some of my best opportunities during the week to connect with all of you are on that run. I'd run into like four of you every time. <laughs> and it's inconvenience. <laughs> but you know what? I've realized some of the best, sweetest conversations I've had have been during that run. And I thought, that's just the way God always works. It's never the convenient thing that's the God moment, the God opportunity. And so my ability to be used by God is often my willingness to be interrupted by God and say, no, this person, you've crossed my path. You're the person God has for me. Does that make sense? Who is that person? There's those times. It's going to be the time you don't want to talk to them. When you don't want to deal with the neighbor or the Creeksider or anyone else, that's the time that that God is often wants to work powerfully through you. So submitting to, to God's will means, God, your priorities are how I plan my life. God, your opportunities can disrupt my life and interrupt my life. And the last thing that just hit me from this passage, family, is is, is this, that to live this way, it means that I'm not so fixated on tomorrow that I fail to see God's mercies today. I know all of us have hopes and dreams and desires for how we want God to use us later. And I pray God fulfills the desires of your heart, but honestly, I think I can be so fixated on the future that I'm just blind to how good God is to me today. And I, and I don't often think about how fleeting life is and how precious my moments with people are. You know, you see this in the life of Paul, right? That Paul had a plan. He wanted to get to Spain. But he also realized that he was probably going to get killed for the gospel. And so he's always saying, if the Lord wills, I will come see you. If the Lord wills, I will come do this. And Paul had the sense that he was a man with a clock that was about to expire. And so he cherished the time he got with people. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks reading Acts 20 a few nights ago. He's with these elders at the church of Ephesus. He spent all this time with them. And it says that he realized this was the last time he was ever going to see them and they realized it was the last time they were going to see him, and they wept. And I thought, how rare is it in my life to realize how transient my life is and the chances I get and how precious those are because I'm so obsessively focused on the next thing. I was... um, I was, I was driving my son out to a, a soccer tournament a few weeks ago. And uh, they have this project they're doing at school on thankfulness because of Thanksgiving. And uh, he's writing things that he's thankful for in his little journal. And, um, you know, he just told me, he said, Dad, I'm thankful that you're my dad. And um, I just think about how hard I push him, how much I correct him, how much my desires for him are future-oriented, that so often I just fail to realize what a blessing it is that he's my son, period. And I just said, Jake, it, it is the privilege of my life to get to be your dad. And I just can't tell you how pleased I am with you. And I just think, how often do we miss those chances to tell people close to us how we really feel, how much we really appreciate them? And just, just an admonition, don't wait. Don't let love go unexpressed for other people. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know that next chance you're going to have to share the gospel with that person. You do not know how much time left you get to have those crucial conversations. You do not know if tomorrow will come to resolve the conflict that you need to resolve. You do not know. And Jesus has mercy for you when? Today. Today. Don't miss Today. Don't miss it. I have missed it, and I regret it because I have, I have said, not said things I should have said. I have not taken risks I should have taken. And we feel the weightiness of this, don't we, as we get older, because we start to think more about the missed opportunities. And that's where this passage ends. James says this, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, this isn't just some abstract principle James is talking about. It's, it's what he was just talking about. Whoever knows the right thing to do to plan your life under God's sovereignty, that's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to live like God is in charge of your life. And failing to do that, living like a practical atheist, even if it feels so benign, what does James say it is? It's sin. It is wicked to view your future as your own. Because it's not. You were bought with a price and Jesus purchased your future for him. And so we have to feel the weight of it, that that our time is not ours to use. It's Jesus' time. And and the conviction, as I look at my life, is all of the time that was wasted and spent on things of no eternal value. But, But family, here's the good news that our future with Jesus isn't secure because we are thinking about Jesus all the time with our future plans. Our future's secure because Jesus thinks about us with his future plans. I just think of that, that scene in Luke 9 where Jesus in his earthly ministry, he knows it's time to die. And it says in Luke 9 that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Basically, he looked ahead and said, I'm going to go to the cross. And then he went on a death march. And he said, I'm going to go to the, into the city. I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to die to save them. Jesus has been unwaveringly committed to you with his future plans. And he still is. And his plans for you are good. That's what the gospel shows us And if Jesus is that committed to us with his future, we can do no less but to give him ours. Let's pray. So, Lord, our our hands are in your lives. Um, My life is in the hands of your love everlasting. So, so Lord, I pray that we would see the good news that, that you are Lord of the future, so we don't have to fear. We don't have to obsess. We don't have to have perfect plans because, God, it's not perfect plans that will secure our future, but your perfect love for us. And so help us to live one day at a time and not waste these precious few moments you give us, for they are yours, Jesus. And we want to offer them back to you. Thank you, Lord, that you do not give up on us and that in you our future is eternally secure. Pray it in your name, amen.